Hello, I hope that wherever you are in the world, you're enjoying the summer or winter and have not suffered too greatly from recent extreme climate conditions. Uh, here we're going to be taking the temperature of the UK property market in another APW property podcast. APW helps expats with their property purchases in the UK and has been doing just that for 30 years. Uh, helping hundreds of clients buy hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of UK property. Uh, some may be hoping to boost their income with a buy-to-let property, some may be planning for retirement, and some may be looking to buy because they know they will want to live in the UK in the not-too-distant future. Which is the reason these podcasts aim to give out useful information on all manner of topics. Today it's market mosey time, and we'll be having a sneaky peek at what went on in the market in August with APW's Stuart and Callum Williamson. Hi Stuart. Hey Paul, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Hi Callum. Uh, Paul, how's it going? Very good. You're both in Oz at the moment, I gather. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, we try to do these uh, once every month. Um, we missed last month. Uh, but if you need your information updates sooner than that, take a look at APW's weekly market wrap on YouTube, where Stuart Williamson takes you through his perspective on all the important goings on. But here in podcast land, let's start with a quick look at inflation. Callum. Inflation. Yes. The ONS published... Uh, the July figures on August the 16th. So um, you can check those out, ons.gov.uk. So what have we got? The uh, Consumer Price Index. That's Sorry. the Office for National Stati Statistics for those unfamiliar with the, uh, the very, jargon. Very true. Office for National Statistics, that's it. So the Consumer Price Index, including owner-occupiers housing costs, so CPI, H, the H for the housing, rose by 6.4% in the 12 months to the July 23. So that's down from 7.3 in June. So that's coming down. That's positive. Uh, on a monthly basis, CPI H fell by 0.3 in July, uh, whereas it rose uh, July 23, whereas it rose by 0.6 in July 22. So that's another positive indicator. And then the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, rose by 68 percent in the 12 months to July 23 down from 7.9 in June so that's on the way down as well. So uh, signs of land then uh, with the long-awaited drops in inflation after remaining stubbornly high? Uh, yes that's true but core inflation is still pretty high and there is still some nerves about spikes in food and fuel coming down the track as winter sets in and the impacts of the war in Ukraine are felt. Okay. Uh, well, falling fuel and energy prices were the big downward contributors. Uh, motor fuel was down 24.9% in the year to July 2023. Um, the energy price cap has come down, easing pressure on household energy bills. Uh, food inflation on items like milk, bread and cereals has come down a bit, but remains high at 14.9%. Uh, so yes, there's still some worries about inflation, but the good news is that it is finally heading down uh, after remaining stubbornly high. Interest rates, uh, Stuart? Yeah, well, at the last meeting, they raised their rates for the 14th time the Bank of England did since December 2021, up to 5.25% although quite a few people thought it would go up to 5.5. At the next meeting, on the 21st of September, it probably will go up to 5.5, I would say. At the last one, it was 6.3 in favour of raising the rate by the 25 basis points, and two of the others wanted it actually to go up to 5.5, I said. So there's every chance it will, although you know the bank's fear factor, which is the rate they put on top of the, the bank rate, Say so a couple of percent or three percent, depending on how frightened they're feeling, is actually coming down. 
So overall rates are falling. So um, yeah, what are the predictions sort of looking forward? Um, well, it'll go up, I think, to 5.5%. Looking towards the end of the year, I think probably it'll be possibly sticking around the same, probably the same going into next year, and then starting to fall by the end of 2025, as long as the interest rates do come down to the, the bank's 2% target threshold. And I can't believe that that will happen anytime before 2026, really. So you'd be looking at the new normal, as they say. And I've got to get the word pivot somewhere into the conversation because it's, everyone always is saying nowadays they're going, something's going to pivot on something else. I don't know what the pivot will be for it to drop, but I don't think it will in the near future. Four to five percent is what we're going to have longer term. And newspapers seem to think that. And certainly that's what, although newspapers don't know anything, that's what the swap rates are, are pointing to in the future. Yeah, so it does. It has all calmed down a bit from the panic that was uh, towards the end of last year, and then there was a wobble this year with more panic about the stubbornly high inflation. Those rates they do seem to be suggesting five point seven five as a peak, maybe six percent, uh, and as you say, five point five percent, maybe five percent, somewhere th- all of that through next year, with a long term rate of hopefully four percent. But uh, as we've seen over the last year, this prediction racket is. Um, it's uh, fragile. A trader's website, xtb.com, uh, had this to say. According to the Bloomberg data, the market is 99% convinced that BOE will hike interest rates by 0.25% to 5.5% when it next meets on the 21st of September. Uh, what's more, the market continues to price in at least one or two more rate hikes between November 2023 and January 2024. With UK interest rates expected to hit a peak of between 575 and 6%. Uh, the July inflation data is unlikely to do much to deter the Bank of England's MPC members from refraining from further interest rate heights in the next three months. For the BOE to pause its current cycle of hiking interest rates, is likely we'll need to see core inflation start to decline much more markedly than we've seen in recent months, and UK wage growth start to cool. So those those are your pivots there, Stuart, I think, the core inflation and wage growth. Um, and that's the base rate. Uh, what effect is it having on the mortgage market, Stuart? Well, I said the fear factor is starting to come out of a lot of the bank's rates. So we've seen a gradual uh, easing of long-term rates. Um, I think Homeowners Alliance came up with some interesting points. Uh, they're talking about best buy-to-let rates, which are which you quoted as saying, meanwhile, we've seen the best buy-to-let, buy-to-let mortgage rates improve. The best fixed rate buy-to-let available last month was Virgin Money's 10-year fix at 5.38%. The best rate now is precise mortgages. The fix at two years at 4.69%. You need a 25% deposit, which is standard for expats, and you have to pay a whopping scheme fee of £6,715, which is horrendous. If you're looking for the best variable buy-to-let, Mansfield, bless them, Mansfield, 3.95% discount rate for two years, which is initial rate of 4.54%, is available, 25% deposit, and again, a what again a whopping scheme fee of £3,549. But you've got, I mean, you've got to do the maths there. It might be worth paying, it might be worth paying those higher upfront fees you know, if you look at the calculations of a higher interest rate, I mean, you're talking about perhaps a percent or two more, so it could well be worth it. Yeah, I mean, it's always worth paying for good service. You know, it saves you money. A lot of people don't want to pay for anything. 
and ended up consequently they end up getting very little but paying for a good service is worthwhile i always think myself so i agree with you there Yes, and those figures were uh, correct at the time of recording, which is just uh, at the end of August here. So, you know, probably best the, the the rates are always changing, and and as we often advise, it's best usually to go through a mortgage broker who keep their eye on the market and look out for the next the best deals. But yes, the good news is that some of those long term rates have been easing down and uh, not uh, cranking up, which they have been for the last few months. And I would, I would say, Paul, just to that point, a lot of this may sound a bit like technical gobbledygook, but we at APW appreciate this, and we are launching shortly our new educational channel, which will ed- have videos on board where you can watch, for example, learn how to actually how to find a good mortgage broker, how to get a good mortgage, how to not to damage your credit rating. As you say, go to a mortgage broker because if you apply to for willy-nilly mortgages all over the place, Every time you do that, your credit rating is affected and negatively in many cases. So getting some good advice for you to jump in is what we're trying to do with our educational channel. Okay. Well, this month we're going to take a slightly more detailed look at some of the latest house price reports as well to see if we can find some consensus among the commentators as to what the higher mortgage costs and costs of living costs have done to house prices across the country. Uh, So let's start with uh, Knight Frank's August UK residential report, Callum. Okay, good. I think Knight Frank's pretty solid and reliable source. Uh, generally, prices still falling, but gradually, not as aggressively as they has they have been. So, uh, 0.2 to 0.3 in in the past month on an annual basis, they're down 3.8 percent with the nationwide index, 2.4 uh, percent with Halifax, uh, and then a falls from last year's August peak of between three and 4.5 percent. Sales and mortgage approvals are down on the same period as last year, to be expected. They see uh, Knight Frank see continued affordability pressure on housing prices and suggest falls, further falls, uh, mostly because of the hit to people's spending power. Interest rates go up. You know, they're spending more money on their mortgages. They have less spending power. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, broadly, slow, sale, uh, slow sales and weaker buyer demand will continue and prices will continue to drop, they suggest. Yes, they have this to say. Uh, we expect house prices to remain under pressure, falling by 10% the remainder of this year and the next. Uh, so uh, that's their forecast. Uh, but they're also seeing um, some you know, better news for the people who already own property in the lettings market. Um, tell us something about that. Yeah, so um, you know, they're seeing lettings demand, uh, lettings demand outstrip supply across the country, uh, leading to rising rents, which is... You know, what we've seen pretty consistently now, post-COVID, you had the race for space and then you've had people moving back into city centres and town centres and, you know, the past 24 months sort of core city centre locations, rents have risen by 10% year on year and, and we've been seeing that. So, yeah, they say here, uh, that's including prime central London and prime uh, outer London, lettings uh, year on year rises of 14 and 12% respectively. So even in London, we're seeing that the rents rise. Yeah, so it's quite a fluid market uh, overall uh, with this demand and supply issue, whether you're buying or whether you're letting right across the country. So there is difference in local markets. So have a look at those reports to find the regional perspectives. 
Um, I'll run through the Right Move report, which appeared on the 15th of August. They have the headline, Prices fall, though likely more to due to holidays than rate rises. Uh, so they think that basically it's the summer, so it's a bit quiet. The price of property coming onto the market sees the first fall this year down 1.3% in the month to £365,173. Uh, that's their average. Uh, they say prices usually drop in August, and this 1.3 drop is on a par with the average August drop over the past 10 years. Summer holidays are taking priority and some new sellers are pricing more competitively to secure a buyer quickly to beat the lengthy average time to completion and move home before Christmas. Yes, there's always that Christmas rush with everyone tries to complete their sale before Christmas Day. And uh, you need to start thinking about it now if that's if that's what you want to do. Demand continues to soften, they're saying, and supply constraints are improving, but there's still a massive imbalance. The latest interest rate rise of 0.25% is putting further pressure on buyer affordability. Uh, the average mortgage monthly payments for the first-time buyers uh, putting down a 10% deposit exceeded £1,000 for the first time. August marks 20 years of Right Moves House Price Index, with national average asking prices more than doubling in those 20 years. And uh, Tim Bannister, always good with a handy quote uh, from Right Move, he says, A drop in asking prices is to be expected this month as the market returns towards normal seasonal patterns after a frenzied two years, and many would be home movers become distracted by the summer holidays. Indeed, for those that can, this may be their first summer holiday abroad since before the pandemic. Sellers who want or need to move quickly at this time of year tend to price competitively in order to find a suitable buyer fast, with some hoping to complete their move in time to enjoy Christmas in a new home. To achieve that this year, they'd need to beat the current average time between accepting an offer and completing the sale of four and a half months. Nevertheless, we're still expecting price changes for the rest of the year to continue to follow the usual seasonal pattern, which means we'll end the year at around 7% annual growth, even with the wider economic uncertainty. Interesting. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not all, you know, doom and gloom. I mean, you know, prices have fallen, yes, but, you know, we, we have come off the back of 24 months of, you know, massive house price growth. And so 7%, I mean, is still a pretty solid capital appreciation. And that's not taking into account the rental income you're getting, which has risen 10% year on year, you know. So it's still, to me, seems pretty, uh, like a pretty good thing to do. Well, interesting, you know, we go on to talk about Zoopla. And I was going through the Zoopla report today when doing um, some work on the podcast. And, you know, and they're saying that it's a north-south divide. So in the south, we're seeing places like Bournemouth, Southampton, Devon, Cornwall, London and the southeast are all falling by 1% to 2% so far this year. But if you go up to the Midlands and the north, then you've got the opposite happening. So in Scotland, it's up by 1.2%. In the north of England, Midlands, it's up also. So you know, places like Sheffield, Leeds, Birmingham, Nottingham are up by a couple of percent. So it does seem to be, although it's a much thinner amount of trading going on where it's more affordable is going up still and again because of the lifestyle changes and people being able to work or work further away from the office you're getting people buying in cheaper locations and then traveling in a couple of days a week into what would be a city center and that seems to be a, a typical thing and with wage, wage growth at seven percent it's actually outstripping what's going on and it's making houses more affordable in fact in london they're more affordable than they have been for the first time in 11 years. 
Okay. I always think of it as a kind of like the surface of a water. Um, if ever you've kind of sloshed uh, water around, maybe in a swimming pool, even in the bath, or if you watched water, uh, the waves crashing against a cliff, that's the kind of thing that you get here because you get a wave of people rushing back to, as you say, uh, uh, rushing back into the city centres. And then they can't find anywhere because there's a, they're part of that wave of demand. And that it, it sloshes somewhere else where everyone starts looking somewhere else. So if you can get those, the sense of where that demand is going to hit, that's always a good sort of practical way of looking at the market anyway, that it's, it's not a steady rise. It's more about the kind of ups and downs of waves and ripples. And it's a good analogy, you know, so we talk about and you hear quite a bit um, is the ripple effect. And that's it. You know, you think, well, you look at, you, you drop a stone on where the core is that everyone wants to be. And then you look at where the ripples go out from there and the ripples travel easiest along train lines or bus routes or motorways. And so you follow those ripples out to those next cities, you know, and then event or towns. And then eventually those towns have their own ripple effect as those get full. So it is a, it's a good way to think about things, I think. Yes, there's another way, which is also the uh, regeneration sites. Uh, they tend to have quite a big impact on on house prices around. Uh, but I kind of liken that to a lava flow almost, that it the lava flow from that regeneration site flows down the streets that radiate away from it and then kind of curls very, very slowly around the side streets. But you get kind of extra bits of regeneration happening uh, in those side streets and in those kind of radial streets. Uh, but they, it, it, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, so... Uh, you had a look at the Zoopla. Was there anything in particular with the regional um, regional imbalances that piqued your interest, Stuart? Um, just really the north-south divide. Does the north-south divide, how it's becoming like that? You know, certainly, and it's to, to be expected. And you know, if everyone runs away, and as you say, the water flows out towards the south southwest and the southeast coastlines to get away from this, from COVID, we all thought, you know. You know, we left to Malaysia when COVID struck on one of the last planes that we can get out on. And it was like, well, that's it. We won't be coming back here again. But, you know, things aren't really like that. Things aren't always black and white. So the North-South divide, I think, is a big thing. But I think also first-time buyers, first-time buyers are still getting in. When interest rates were a lot lower, first-time buyers could buy in, and they were buying in in three-bed houses, whereas normally they're going to flats, then a two-bed, before getting into a three-bed. So now... They can't afford those larger houses, so flats and, and studios are becoming more in demand as first-time buyers try and get into them. And that's really the, the sort of the only sort of takeaways I took from it, really, that is, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. And it's not the same as Nike Frank, what they're saying. Seven cent up, I think, is quite punchy. I think if it ends, we end the year flat, I think that'd be a good Right, right move are saying 7% okay. up at the end of the right year. But they they also had an interesting article which was about um, the difference between renting and paying a mortgage. Uh, for the first time in 13 years, paying rent is cheaper than repaying a mortgage for first-time buyers. Uh, so the difference in the cost of renting versus buying is front of mind for many first-time buyers who account for one in three of home sales. 
Uh, 70% of them are renting in the three years before they buy a home, and they've historically looked forward to paying less in monthly mortgage repayments than they do in rent. Uh, But with mortgage rates remaining high this year, the cost of repaying a mortgage each month is now more expensive than the rent on the same property. But that's not true everywhere in the country, uh, Stuart. Again, you've got that north-south divide. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in the northeast of England, a first-time buyer could expect to pay 18% less on their mortgage each month than than rent. And in Scotland, it's only 17%. So it's still marginally cheaper to buy an average price rented home than rent in the Northwest, Northern Ireland, Wales, and Yorkshire. Number. So, you know, it is cheaper than it was, and that's still a positive thing. Yes, yeah, so, and so that that, that um, have a look at their report for the exact figures. Uh, but they've they've assumed a first time buyer and assumed a deposit and assumed a kind of amount that they'd have to pay. But yes, that's a, a key factor that it's cheaper to rent than pay a mortgage at the moment. Uh, Simply Business makes some bold predictions of house prices in the next five years. Average prices have started to fall in 2023, but what could happen over the next five years? The Office for Budget Responsibility expects house prices to continue dropping as we go into next year, forecasting a 10% fall by the end of 2024. Uh, Looking ahead to 2025, estate agency Savills predicts average house prices may start to recover if inflation continues to fall and the Bank of England reduces its base rate. Savills predicts a bullish 7% house prices in 2026. Uh, Well, the OBR suggests average prices could increase by 3.5% in 2027. Uh, On the other hand, Oxford Economics has predicted that UK house prices won't return to their 2022 levels until 2028. Uh, So a slew of predictions there. What do we make of all these forecasts? Well, forecasts, I mean, yeah, what do we make of them? I mean, seems to make sense given what we know about the market. I think, um, you know, we talked about the massive rise in prices during the pandemic. You know, you had first the houses, then flats. You know, so we're coming off the back of that. The rates are obviously impacting that if we're saying... 2024, 2025, 2026 to get back to lower rates. And that will sort of be playing into these predictions of 26, 27 before we see some solid growth again. Inflation as well impacting how much people can save and and buy property for, I think, uh, you know, but again, if you can, if you can get in, what a lot of these predictions don't talk about is rents, you know, and what is the rental income going to be? And is that going to grow? And, I think a lot of people often overlook that when predicting property prices. You still get the rental income if you're if you're doing buy to let. So, yeah. What do, What do you think, Stuart? Yeah, I think everyone's a bit um, feeling a bit bruised after what's happened. I mean, surprisingly, because I mean, interest rates have been crazy low. I mean, if you're more than fifty years old, you remember when rates were up much higher than this, and it it was an aberration for them to be so low. And 4%, 5% is going to be the new normal. So, you know, it, everyone's feeling a bit weird, but the point is is that there are some cracking deals still out there. If you look around, you can still get, as Callum said, about anything between 7 and 10% rental yield. And if you can get that, it doesn't matter if your interest rates are 5 or 6%. As long as you're buying a good growing location, you'll still make good money. And people are still doing it. So that's it. Okay, well, that's it for today. Uh, join us again next Monday. Until then, it's uh, goodbye from Callum. Goodbye, Paul. Thanks for having me. Uh, Cheerio from Stuart. Cheerio, Paul. Thank you for listening.
And uh, goodbye from me. My name is Paul Shearer. Have a lovely day. And uh, thanks as ever to our producer, Emma Holton, at Brilliant Audio. Thanks for listening to this episode of our podcast series produced for APW by Emma Holton at Brilliant Audio. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe, hit like, share it with your friends. If you didn't, keep stum. You can find more episodes in all your usual podcast places.